Welcome to Coast the Ghost. I'm Carly. And I'm B. And we're two friends that met each other at Build a Bear a while ago. And now we tell spooky stories to keep each other entertained. Yeah, so what kind of question do you have this week? So, do you know, this isn't my question, but this is like a question leading okay. up to the question. You know what cryptids are, right? No. Like Bigfoot, Mothman. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. My main question is, do you believe in them? Like, how do you feel? What's your What's your vibe? Um, I don't know, honestly, because sometimes I'm like, oh, like, that's pretty, I don't know, some, like, videos when I see them on, like, social media or whatever, I'm like, oh, that looks fake, but then there's some, I'm like, that kind of looks real, but I've had no, like, personal encounters or experiences or anything like that to ensure if I believe it or not believe it, so it's up in the air for me. I feel like if I were to believe in one, it would probably have to be Bigfoot because there are so many sightings. And, like, Mm -hmm. it kind of leads me to believe that this is going to sound really weird. But, like, if Bigfoot is real, I think that it's, like, a species, like, situation. Because it can't be everywhere all at once. Right, right. Because there's there's spottings, like, down in Florida. But then there's some in, like, Canada. Like... They're all over the place. It can't be the same one, yeah. And it kind of scares me a little bit more because if that one's real and that one is a species, what about the other ones? What else? Like, what are we... Because some cryptids are super freaking spooky and I just... We should probably do an episode on cryptids at some point, but... (laughs) Like the Loch Ness Monster. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, certain things freak me out a lot and Bigfoot is not one of them because I am under the belief that... If you don't bother him, he's not going to bother you. Like every animal on this planet. Right? Pretty much. But there are some cryptids that I've read about that are, like, out for blood. And that terrifies mm. me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I haven't had any, like, personal experiences with anything like that to ensure if I truly... So I'm like, yeah, like, I believe, but do I kind of thing. I don't know, that's really confusing. I'm very indifferent about it. That's totally fair. I think moving to Wyoming, um, there are a lot more out here than there are in South Carolina. Um, Yeah, I bet. Like a a lot of scary ones that that freak me out. Um, Like a lot of myths and legends that I never want to dive into because sometimes I get paranoid that I'm like, oh my God, I live alone if I talk enough about Bigfoot. Bigfoot's gonna knock on my door. I'm like that every time I research a story for this podcast. Seriously? I'm like, oh my gosh, the dead person I'm researching is probably gonna haunt me right now. Or what if the murderer who hasn't been caught is like seeing my search history and is coming after me? I'm Right, and you're in Florida and the murderer you're researching is in like Wisconsin and you're like, oh my god, he's on a bus right now. Yep, yep. (laughs) Speaking of, what do you have for us today? Okay, so my story kind of falls into the category of there's a lot of people in jail who might not necessarily deserve to be there. Um, and this is a very well-known one, well-known case, I'd say, uh, for, I would say, our generation. If you say O.J. Simpson, we're done. No. No, 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 no. <laughs> Say this we're is... done here? No, no, no. So... 
Um, I am going to tell a story, story about Ryan Ferguson. Do you know who that is? I no? don't. For once okay. in my life, you're telling a story that I don't know. All right. So I will. I don't want to give any spoilers away, so I'm just going to get right into it. So the night of October 31st, 2001, the workers at the Columbia Daily Tribune in Columbia, Missouri, were working a very late night. Uh, around this time, they were kind of they were working late because the start of the basketball season was coming soon. So they were working way longer than they actually needed to be. So Keith Heathholt was a 48-year-old sports writer who was working late that night. Uh, people in his life said he was an incredibly easygoing man who supported and mentored his fellow staff. He was a coworker who was always there to lend a hand or provide any input. And many described his personality as a gentle giant. So Keith left the Tribune uh, around late that night, so the night of October 31st, morning of November 1st, around 2.12 a.m. His coworker Michael Boyd, spoke to him around this time, right before they were going to head out for a night. A few minutes later, like literally a few minutes later, janitor Shauna Ornt, I think that's how you pronounce her last name, stepped outside for a smoke break and saw two shadowy figures by Heath Holt's car and ran back inside to get her supervisor, Jerry Trump. Both Shauna and Jerry witnessed two young college-aged men standing near Keith's car. The workers reported that one of the men yelled, somebody's hurt out here, man, before both of those shadowy male figures walked away through a nearby alleyway. Hmm. They then notified other employees and called 911 at 2.26 a.m., so literally like just over... 10-ish minutes after Keith initially left and Keith Heathholt was found severely beaten with a blunt object and strangled. This is why we have buddies that walk us to our cars. Right and like at the same time like Keith was not like a like he was like a bigger man like like people said he was a gentle giant like the but, person so you like, would want to walk to your car with. Right, yeah, yeah. He's like the person that if I was working late that night, I'd be like, hey, Keith, can you walk me to my car? Because I'd feel safe. Um, so Shauna was able to provide a description of the men and create a composite sketch with the police. And she was actually considered the sole witness as Jerry, her supervisor, admitted he wasn't really able to see them clearly. Hmm. Po- the police were able to recover some identified fing- unidentified fingerprints on the inside of the car, as well as an unidentified strand of hair in Keith's hand, and they were also able to recover footprints from the blood at the crime scene. So as days turned into weeks, weeks turned into months, the police were no closer to solving this case than at the beginning. These months eventually turned into two years, and the police had absolutely nothing. That, other than that one character witness saying this is right. what I saw. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they really had no leads or any idea who could do this. What year was so, this again? 2001. Oh, I was about to say, because like hair follicle, but that probably wasn't. Yeah, I it didn't really go deep into it, um, what I was researching, but it just sounded like every time they would look into like any of the stuff they found, they they would find no matches or anything like that Mm. so two years later in october of 2003 the local media did a cover on the murder and it was uh this time that charles erickson started having several dreams about the murder 
after seeing a newspaper article. So, on the night, Halloween night, 2001, the night of the murder, Charles Erickson was 17 years old. Him, along with his friend, 17-year-old Ryan Ferguson, were attending Halloween parties in the area. Later that night, the boys met up with Ryan's sister, who was able to help them get into a local bar, where they spent the rest of the night and the rest of their money. And their sister, or Ryan's sister, ended up buying their last few drinks until 1.30 a.m., when Ryan dropped Charles off at home and then took himself home. After seeing that news article, Charles asked Ryan if he believed that he and Charles had, like, him... So, he, Charles asked Ryan if he believes that they had anything to do with the incident, specifically if himself, Charles himself had anything to do with the incident, because he was having these, like, strange dreams. Was and Ryan, he, like, blackout drunk? Yeah, yeah. So, I'll get into that in, like, two seconds. So Ryan assured to him that he wasn't involved in the case at all, but Charles continually began to overthink and ponder the murder and the idea that they were literally just a few blocks away from that night when it happened. So getting back to what you were just asking, that night Charles was under the influence of alcohol, cocaine, and Adderall and had absolutely no memory of that night. He was blacked out beyond that that comparison. That is quite the mix. Yeah. Yeah, so he was... He was pretty gone. So after seeing the sketch of the mystery people that Shauna originally like uh, drew up or helped drop, Charles began thinking he kind of resembled the image and he started becoming very worried. He told his friends, Nick and Art, about his concerns and his buddies actually ended up contacting the police about it. The police then... Uh, brought Charles in for questioning where Charles admitted having little to no memory of that night and I'm gonna quote this and it's gonna make your blood boil quote could potentially be sitting here fabricating all of it unquote you're right it immediately (laughs) made me want to punch something yeah so he like was having all these like strange dreams nightmares whatever he like was just really overthinking, becoming incredibly paranoid, thinking he had something to do with it. But at the same time, he's like, I could be making all of this up. Oh, God. (laughs) This is already making me think of the hundreds and hundreds of cases where someone says something and you're suddenly like, okay, yeah, that could have happened. And then the more they repeat it to you, the more you're like, no, that definitely happened. Yeah. And I'm going to be honest, this is going to be the beginning of a story that's going to make you so angry. (laughs) (laughs) So, the police, during the interrogation, asked Charles about the weapon used to strangle Keith, and he replied that he thought it was a shirt. The police told him that wasn't it, and Charles replied with, quote, maybe a bungee cord? Unquote. Eventually, the officer told him the weapon was actually Keith's belt, and Charles replied, quote, I don't remember that at all, unquote. <laughs> I need a stress ball. I need a stress ball, yeah. and I need it now. Yeah, just researching this just it, will, it makes you so angry. So, after much time and questioning from the officers, Charles eventually tells them that himself and Ryan robbed Keith for drinking money, despite no evidence linking them to the actual crime, as well as absolutely any concrete motive that they would have to do this, 
The boys were arrested and charged with murder in March of 2004. If they robbed him and murdered him for drinking money, why did the sister have to continue to buy their drinks the rest of the night? Yeah. So, well, this is apparently... So Charles is saying this happened after. And Ryan was like, I drove you home. But, like, Like, uh, why would they drive home still? Like, after (laughs) robbing someone for money. Yeah. And there was, like... After all of this, obviously, they're like, okay, we're going to take a look at these boys. Obviously, you have to take a look at anybody who comes forward. And there was, like, no blood evidence or anything found in Ryan's vehicle that night that linked them. There was absolutely nothing that they found that could link them to this murder, except Charles saying, I think I might have had something to do with it. Mm. So, the trial took place the following year in 2005, and this is uh, Ryan's trial, so four years after Keith's murder. The government offered Charles a plea deal in exchange for a testimony against Ryan. Charles took the stand and claimed that Ryan killed Keith during the attempted robbery. Even though there were several inconsistencies with his testimony, he was able to provide accurate details surrounding the murder, these of which he had no memory of the previous year when he was being interrogated, such as a description of how Ryan strangled Keith. So remember when I was quoting that they asked Charles how to do strangle him and he was like uh I think a t-shirt maybe a bungee cord and they're like no it's his belt so these were the thing like the things he was describing at Ryan's trial but the previous year he had absolutely no memory of until the police told him about it were these uh interrogations recorded I believe so there is some yeah so I'm pretty sure you can like look them up Uh, So, also somebody who took the witness stand was Jerry Trump, the janitorial supervisor on duty. He, at the time, was actually in jail on unrelated charges when his wife sent him a news article of the trial and claimed that when he saw the photos of Charles and Ryan, he recognized them as the two men he saw the night of the murder in 2001. But if you remember, at the beginning of my story, Jerry was the one who said he couldn't, he wasn't able to recognize or even come up with a description of the two shadowy men figures that they saw near Keith's car, but Shauna was the only one who was able to provide a description of what they looked like. But somehow, Jerry was the one that took the stand. That bothers me because people have the innate need to insert themselves into things they shouldn't. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I guess five seconds of fame, man, like that. uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah, that bothers me, too. So, the defense stated that all the evidence found at the crime scene pointed somewhere else, not to these boys. None of the hair, none of the blood, none of the fingerprints that were taken at the crime scene were matched to Ryan or Charles. And again, there was no traces of Keith's blood in any of Ryan's possessions in his car that he drove that night. But, with that being said, Ryan was convicted of second-degree murder and robbery and was sentenced to 40 years in prison. 40 years. Yeah. (sighs) So, the conviction gained a huge following with various wrongful conviction advocacy groups. Kathleen Zellner, who was a high-profile Chicago attorney, took over Ryan's case pro bono. In 2012, so he was convicted in 2005, so in 2012... Charles and Jerry both recanted their trial testimony and statements obtained by Zellner and her investigator in a habeas corpus hearing, and both men admitted that they lied at Ryan's trial in 2005. 
For what reason? Like, what was the purpose? During this habeas corpus hearing, Charles claimed that prosecutor Kevin Crane had pressured him into implicating Ryan. He admitted that he had no memory of that night in 2001 because of how intoxicated he was. Jerry also recanted his story that his wife had provided him with this news article and claimed the first time he actually saw that news article was in 2004 in the prosecutor's office after he was released from prison. And Kevin had also pressured him into testifying against Ryan. So then Zellner's law partner, Douglas Johnson, was able to recover an interview with Jerry's wife where she told the investigators she had absolutely no memory of ever sending her husband any of those newspapers, which this interview was actually not disclosed to the original defense team in 2005. Of course it wasn't. (laughs) Yeah. So essentially this prosecutor just wanted to put somebody away for this murder. That, I mean, that seems to be pretty common where the public is pressuring people to catch a murderer Mm -hmm. and... It just, it seems like the easy answer in this case is right. to blame it on the kid that comes forward and says, I don't have any memory of that night. Like, hey. But my buddy was there. Yeah. Right? Let's give you memory then. Like. Yeah. So the last person to have actually spoken with Keith was his coworker, Michael Boyd, was called as a witness. While being questioned, Zellner was able to piece together a timeline which showed Michael being with Keith essentially at the time of the murder. Michael also had about five conflicting stories before the hearing, but he was never called as a sworn witness in any court proceedings regarding the case. Seems convenient. Right, and just at the beginning of the story, I was like, oh man, this guy kind of sounds suspicious. But nothing, nobody ever looked into him, really. So Shauna, the original janitor who went out for her smoke break, had testified that she told Kevin Crane that Ryan was definitely not one of the men she saw that night and claimed Kevin tried to induce her into implicating Ryan and he actually became incredibly threatening with her during their last conversation so she was like that's not the guy that I saw and he Kevin was like "Mm, yeah it is and she was like nope so even though she was the sole witness she was never asked in court whether she could identify Ryan or not Zellner then spoke on this and cited she believed the prosecution did not question if Shauna could identify Ryan because they knew it would hurt their case. They knew she couldn't identify him because they knew that Ryan was not the person who murdered Keith. So they did not even ask for that in his trial. Oh my god. So Ryan's conviction was vacated in November of 2013. So good. Yay. On the basis that the prosecution had withheld evidence from the defense team. And then the state attorney general also announced that after the vacated conviction that absolutely no plans to refile any charges against Ryan since he proved and presented overwhelming evidence of his innocence in his habeas corpus petition. So sadly, the case still remains unsolved, but at least Ryan is free. How many years total did he spend in jail? Um, I believe he around eight. Yeah, seven or eight. He can sue the prison system, right? Like, he's allowed to do that. I'll get into that. So Ryan filed a 
civil lawsuit in 2014 against 11 individuals, as well as Boone County, Missouri, and the city of Columbia, Missouri. The suit contains like a huge variety of things, and I just picked a couple that really stood out to me, such as fabrication of evidence, malicious prosecution, false arrest, and defamation. So that's just a few things that were part of this lawsuit. There was so much more. Damn. And the suit also claimed that after Ryan was released, Kevin Crane and former Columbia Police Chief Randy Boehm and several other police officers continued making statements saying that Ryan was guilty. And all the defendants were dismissed except for six police officers. But in happier news, in October of 2020, a judge awarded Ferguson $11 million, $1 million for each year he had spent in prison and for other legal expenses. That's amazing. Yeah. So, Ryan's case has been cited by the National Registry of Exonerations as an exoneration and charges against him were dismissed and no evidence left to support a conviction. This is why yeah. the Innocence Project is so important. Right, right. And so Ryan, uh, actually, when he was in prison, he really took up uh, bodybuilding and stuff like that. So he is now a personal trainer. Uh, he, through his Instagram, where I checked, because he's pretty, like, live on social media, he seems to be completely thriving. He seems to find love. He found love. Th- he seems good to be for him. really good. Yeah. Super mad it's- that he was prisoned, or imprisoned mm-hmm. for eight years. So, Charles, the friend who couldn't remember anything that night, still remains in prison for his crime and is serving a 25-year sentence in exchange for testifying against Ryan. So, Ryan actually, because he, Ryan is such a good guy, and I just want to put that through everybody's brain, Ryan is an amazing guy. Ryan has vowed to help Charles with his release from prison, even though Charles threw him under the bus. Ryan's family has offered a $10,000 reward for any tips that may help solve this case. And so, like, the reason that Charles remains in prison um, is because he did admit to this crime. Yeah, and Ryan just never said anything about it. Yes, yes. And so, Charles filed for an appeal in 2018, but was denied because he already confessed. But even though Charles threw Ryan under the bus, Ryan is so, still dedicated to helping Charles. I don't know if I could do that for you, man. Like, if I spent eight no. years in prison and you over were the one who threw you, me under the bus, I don't think I could. Right? Like, over something that you were not 100% sure that it even happened, it just makes me so mad that this whole thing even happened. Uh, All because somebody have. had a nightmare. Yeah. It uh, Well, the thing about dreams, I don't know how much you know about them, but they're literally your brain getting rid of excess information that you saw. So this mm-hmm. motherfucker probably read something in the paper or saw something, and then he had a yep. dream about it, and then he was like, you know, could have been me. And that's exactly what happened. Right after he saw an article in the newspaper, he had a dream about it. God. So, yeah, that is the story of Ryan Ferguson. Do you ever, like, see cases like this where you keep thinking, there's no way this is passable in court, and then it gets to the next step, and then it's like, there's no way this is passable, and then it gets to the next step, and then suddenly people are in jail, and it's like, how? That's Right, that's the entire time I was researching this, I was like, how? Like, how? 
like because I knew he went to jail and I knew he was, he was out now but I didn't know all like the details surrounding the case and so researching it and figuring out that they there was no evidence that they could possibly link to him and he still ended up in jail for this crime that he didn't commit makes no sense to me what story do you have for us today it's, I texted you this earlier, but it's kind of sad. Um, this one, unfortunately, does not have a happy ending like yours did. So, yeah, I'm just going to jump right in. So, for those of you that don't know, I work in a clinic, and we get a lot of questions all the time, and for the most part, they're super normal, mainly questions about COVID. Uh, but yesterday, like this, I had no topic before yesterday, and someone called, they asked me a question, and I answered it, and then as soon as I hung up, I was like, what the fuck? Because the question they asked me was, do you do therapeutic lobotomies? Yeah. And, what? Right? And two things went through my mind. The first one was, is that still common practice? And the second one was, how in the fuck is that considered therapeutic? Can you... um? describe what that is for our listeners yeah so that is actually what i'm going to be talking about today i actually have kind of a two-parter for you guys um the first part i will definitely go through lobotomies explain what they are explain what they do and uh their popularities through the 18 1900s and then the second part is going to be about a very famous family that hid a horrible secret for more than 20 years involving oh, a lobotomy yeah so I'm just going to touch on what a lobotomy is real quick. So the late 1800s were known for a lot of things, but mental health was not one of them. At the time, it wasn't something that was discussed. The world was finally pulling itself away from the belief that demons were the source of depression and anxiety and things that couldn't be explained. But that didn't mean that the medical industry had all the answers. You have to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the main purpose for a lobotomy was to cure all mental illness. At the time, things like anxiety, depression, schizophrenia, and bipolar were entirely unexplained, and all erratic behavior was deemed a major concern warranting institutionalization. Yeah, which is mm. super fun. Um, for those of you guys that don't know, <laughs> a lot of women were just thrown into asylums. for. And I think we've kind of touched on that with... Um... That one case that you talked about, um, yeah, the, she, had the, she had the cool name. Venom. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, so same thing. Uh, a lot of people were, were thrown into asylums because they were disagreeable with their husbands because once you marry, unfortunately, into the hundreds, you're their property and they can do whatever the fuck they want. Disgusting. Yeah, really nasty. Disgusting. Um, speaking of, uh, Dickinson just did an episode on this. You guys should uh, check that out. It's like season three, episode five. Um, no, but it actually was really, really good. And like a good um, kind of separation between everything and modernized, but also kind of highlighted how cruel it is to throw people into these institutions. Mm-hmm. 
So anyway, in 1935, a Portuguese neurologist named Antonio Muniz pulled from earlier experiments in the late 1800s where the frontal cortex of the brain is removed by cutting a small hole through the top of the skull. The physician would then inject ethanol into the frontal lobe to sever any connection to the rest of the brain. <laughs> yeah, so... Gives me the chills. It's really, really gross. And that was actually... Injecting the ethanol was actually the most humane way that a lobotomy was formed. Disgusting. Disgusting. (laughs) Um, So over time, the procedure changed, and an instrument called, uh, I'm totally going to butcher this, I think it's the leukotome, I think? I don't know. Um, It was invented by Antonio, and to dumb it down, it was basically a metal loop of wire that would rotate until it cut a small circle into brain tissue. So instead of the needle with the ethanol, they cut out a hole of the frontal lobe with a string. How? Um, I just feel like when I think of like a lobotomy, I think of like you know those watermelon scoopers. Yeah. And it's just like scoop. Here's the thing. That's exactly what it was. Like mm. exactly what it was. Just like they made it more scientific. Scientific. Even though yeah. It yeah. Wasn't. It was literally scoop. Yeah, it was basically whatever they could do to sever the nerve from, I believe, the prefrontal cortex to the actual cortex. I don't know. I'm a fucking dumbass that doesn't know anything about science. But (laughs) not a dumbass. (laughs) Basically, they cut a hole in your brain. (laughs) Makes me mad. Me too. So in 1937, the first lobotomy was performed in the United States by Walter Freeman and James Watts, and they actually adapted a technique from Antonio that they dubbed the Freeman-Watts technique. Instead of the wire, a knife was inserted into the frontal lobe and rotated uh, with the intention of destroying brain cells and brain tissue. So yeah, like you said, melon ball scooper, but this time, knife. 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 What do you have? A knife. A knife. (laughs) Um, So the whole point of a lobotomy, according to multiple sources, is to cut off excessive self-reflection. It was proven that lobotomies cured most intrusive thoughts, as well as any underlying aggression that was attributed to undiagnosed mental illness. Makes sense, because you're literally just going in there, chopping brain pieces up. Chopping stuff off. So it's going to take out something. (laughs) Have you seen uh, Black Widow yet? No, I'm a terrible human being. <laughs> There's like a whole scene where Yelena's like, I don't have a uterus. They just get in there with a knife and they chop it up and they just <laughs> go for it. And that's what I was thinking about this whole time with lobotomies. Not to make light of the situation because lobotomies fucking disgusting. Suck. Yeah. <laughs> Take a shot every time I've said disgusting. disgusting. <laughs> so, and overwhelmingly small number of people actually benefited from a lobotomy it was always a hit or miss situation there were some people who had no change in anything after the procedure and some were cured but many had negative effects on their personality like lack of empathy uh, initiative or control over motor skills did you ever watch uh, i can't think of what it's called it was at sarah paulson um american horror story not American Horror Story, the other thing she did, but I'm pretty sure Ryan Murphy also produced it. Ratchet. Yeah, and they did lobotomies in there. See, I just remember um, the lobotomy in American Horror Story, the second season, because she mm-hmm. got a lobotomy in that yes. that uh, section of the show. And yes. it is, like, so hard to watch. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Take um, a shot. Take a shot. <laughs> 
So if you if you find Shelby's burp in the episode, you get a prize. <laughs> you get a prize. It's not that hard to find. Um, I do it every episode. <laughs> So mental institutions were a huge driving factor in the popularity of lobotomies in the United States. You couldn't throw a stone without hitting an asylum, and many of them were overcrowded. Once a spouse or parent signed their loved ones over to them, they had complete control, including lobotomies that were primarily used to gain control over patients more than actual benefit because it dulled someone's mental state. So these places were so over-controlled, and people were so... Um, disconnected from everything that they would become violent and instead of like a a lobotomy possibly being beneficial which I don't think they ever are they just did it to make them pliable yeah disgusting disgusting and it's the same thing as like the um like even today i don't i don't know how mental institutions are like hopefully they're a lot better um i'm sure they are a lot better than yeah for sure everything anything's better than this but like recent like tv and movies are just like constantly pumped full of like drugs and i feel like it was the same thing just like less humane of doing that of if they don't know where they are they can't be unruly very true yeah that's a good point yeah so thankfully in the 1950s they became less practiced as many of the doctors who performed them weren't even neurologists and mental health began to get discussed and evaluated instead of pushed aside so today they're used as a very very last resort but aren't performed like they were in the early 1900s um Hmm. so that i didn't know they were still performed yeah it is literally a last resort um probably not even one a year like it's it's gotta be really pushed and it's it's Mm -hmm. gotta be discussed for a really long time it's not just like oh you slapped the fork out of the nurse's hand okay we'll just strap you to a chair yeah yeah so that is a brief history of lobotomies super super fun so now i am going to get into the saddest for me at least it's the saddest story of lobotomies um there were a lot i read through a lot that basically everybody who got one became incapacitated afterwards um and it's there are a lot of books like detailing how bad lobotomies were and how it affected everybody but the person that i want to talk about today is rosemary kennedy do you know who that is is she part of the Kennedy family? She is, yeah. She's oh. uh, John Kennedy's younger sister. Oh. Yeah. So. So we're go- we're touching a little bit on curses here? Technically, she is mentioned when you- we talk about the Kennedy curse. Um, but in this case specifically, I think that it was just genuinely evil. Like, it could have been stopped. Um, and... I'll get into it, but there's definitely someone to blame in this situation, Mm -hmm. and it is not Rosemary Kennedy. Okay. So she was the eldest daughter and the third child of Joseph Kennedy and Rose Fitzgerald. She had a complicated birth that led to a lack of oxygen. Um, From what I was reading, they were, when Rose Fitzgerald was giving birth, um, there wasn't a doctor available because it was during the Spanish influenza pandemic so she actually like crossed her legs to stop the birth so a lack of oxygen got to rosemary 
and okay. uh, created some mental blocks as she got older and affected her uh, to the point where she missed a lot of milestones when she was younger, like talking, walking, and uh, she was oh. behind in mental cognizance. But she was still functional. Like, yeah. she just had learning disabilities. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so the Kennedys pretended that Rosemary was fine because they had an appearance to keep up with. They did hire the best tutors that they could buy, but Rose still had trouble reading and writing. They decided to send her to a boarding school in Pennsylvania in an attempt to aid her education. And at this point, I do want to state that um, when people think Kennedys, they do think that JFK was the most famous Kennedy. And he technically was, but the whole family, like generations of the family. Was very, yeah. Yeah, very political, very famous, very in the public eye. They, the one dated Taylor Swift. Yeah, the one dated Taylor Swift. Holla at your boy. Holla at your boy. Um, So when Rosemary turned 15, she was sent to Sacred Heart Covenant in Elmhurst, Rhode Island, and was provided with a separate education from the rest of the students. She was aided by two nuns and a teacher that worked with her day in and day out until she actually reached a fourth grade level of education. She was working towards getting her degree in teaching and wanted nothing more to become a kindergarten teacher. Aww. Which is super nice. And I, love that, I do yeah. want to throw in there that Joseph Kennedy, the father, did pay the school with a new tennis court just to make sure his daughter was taken care of. Which, Aww. I uh, mean, like, eh, but yeah, like. I have issues with Joseph Kennedy. Um,. So it wasn't until 1940 when her temper took a turn for the worse. She was considered irritable and difficult to the point of a violent rage. The Kennedys claimed that she would hit to wound and fight to fight. She was expelled from summer camp before being sent to a different covenant school in Washington, D.C., where she would sneak out at night, worrying her father, Joseph, who ultimately decided that the lobotomy may be the best option to save their public image. Ew. Yeah, that literally hurts me i i was reading this at work and it literally made my stomach drop to the point where i was just so disgusted can we like wind back a Mm -hmm. little bit the fact that how you got to researching the story was somebody calling to ask if you guys did therapeutic lobotomy yeah and i didn't even register at first because i get so many questions every day and i'm like on such autopilot that like i know what we do and don't do because i mean not a lobotomy (laughs) essentially we're classified as an urgent care so like my other thought was why the fuck would you call an urgent care for a lobotomy yeah, like <laughs> for what? Like, could you even call a hospital for that? Or no, do you have to go somewhere like special for that, right? You gotta go probably overseas for that. Like, I don't yeah. even know. Like, it's it's insane. Is that person? If that person that called, I'm not gonna say the name. I don't even know the name of your urgent care, but we're not gonna say it. <laughs> if the, if you're the person that called a urgent care in the state of Wyoming asking for a therapeutic lobotomy, are you okay? Probably not. Super sweet person, but probably not okay. Um, I didn't even register that it was weird until after I hung up, and I was like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> and then I was like, all right. So um, back to Rosemary. I do want to say at this point that Joseph did not tell his wife, Rose Fitzgerald, that he was going to get a lobotomy for Rosemary. That's messed up. Yeah, so she actually didn't know until after the procedure was already done. <gasps> yeah. Mm-hmm. So 
the procedure was done in November of 1941, and I'm going to read a little excerpt from Ronald Kessler's biography on Joseph Kennedy. And uh, you guys can skip through this if you want, because it does get kind of graphic and disgusting. Um, But I thought I had to include it because of how heart-wrenching it is. So, Carly, unfortunately, you can't skip this part. <laughs> I know. Am I going to cry? I'm going to cry. I did tear up when I was reading this. I'm not going to lie. So, it was stated, we went through the top of the head, Dr. Watts recalled. I think she was awake. She had a mild tranquilizer. I made a surgical incision in the brain through the skull. It was near the front. It was on both sides. We just made a small incision, so no more than an inch. The instrument Dr. Watts used looked like a butter knife. He swung it up and down to cut brain tissue. We put an instrument inside, he said. As Dr. Watts cuts, Dr. Freeman asked Rosemary some questions. For example, he would ask her to recite the Lord's Prayer or sing God Bless America or count backward. We made an estimate of how far to cut based on how she responded. When Rosemary began to become incoherent, they stopped. Yeah. Don't. Oh, that's hard to hear. I know. It literally mm. tore my heart out, like, listening to this. They stopped because she became incoherent, incoherent. and couldn't respond. Yeah. Like, why? How? <sighs> even So, the thing that bothers me even more is that it was later determined that Rosemary suffered from depression, which led to her aggression and her outbursts. So, either way, Dr. Watts did say that the lobotomy was the only option because depression clearly warrants getting your brain cut into yeah so um rosemary was never the same again and she was institutionalized directly after the lobotomy her father built a small cottage on the grounds of craig house where she would live with a caretaker and he even got her a dog So the Kennedys claimed to the political circuit that she was simply reclusive when in all reality, Rose and Joseph hid her whereabouts from the rest of the family for 20 full years. Rose finally visited her daughter and Joseph didn't at all before his death in 1969. It was only then that the family integrated Rosemary back into their lives. That's terrible. Yeah, so even though Joseph Kennedy would buy her all of these things, um, Nobody, she would have no family there? No, she did have a full live-in t- uh, caretaker. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was, I guess, like I said, mental illness was totally not discussed, especially in the Kennedy right. family. And uh, JFK had claimed to never know about the whereabouts of his sister, just that she was there one day and she was gone the next. And then when Joseph Kennedy did die, uh Rose was finally like, I want my daughter kind of thing. And she was slowly integrated back into the family. And she learned how to rewalk because she couldn't even walk after the lobotomy. Um, but she still, at the end of the day, had significant decline from when before she got mm-hmm. the lobotomy. And um, she was later taken to visit the rest of the Kennedy family a couple times uh, throughout everywhere she would go to florida she would go to rhode island to her childhood home and she passed away from natural causes in 2005 at the age of 86 so she lived like a long life she did yeah um but she was not cognizant at all right right yeah that's so sad it really is and there it's wild that like it that is such a huge family it is in history and it's like wow 
Yeah, and there's actually a book um, called The Hidden Kennedy, if anybody wants to check it out. Um, I believe in production, I looked for this really, really, like, a lot. For those of you who don't like to read, there is going to be a movie that hopefully comes out either this year or next with Emma Stone as Rosemary Kennedy. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah, so hopefully, we'll see. I don't know. It says it's in production, but COVID happened. Um, But I definitely think she needs more attention. And if you look her up, she is fucking stunning and so kind-hearted from what everybody was saying she would write letters to people and they did have like a child like uh wonder to the letters uh but they she there was no way that that lobotomy was necessary no it's never never necessary and unfortunately there are hundreds of thousands of stories exactly like rosemary's thank you guys for listening to another episode with us uh again we post every thursday and keep up with our instagram c to g pod for all images of our cases we talk about and any updates with us so thank you again have a good night good night san francisco good night san francisco (laughs) if you guys do want to send us any submissions of what you want us to talk about we do have an email called uh coast to go submissions at gmail.com so you can hit us up oh bro you can text us email us whatever (laughs) good night san francisco (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.